0: You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. You can grab your Bibles, go to Galatians chapter 6, and we will read. start reading there in verse 14. you don't have your Bible, that's fine though. The words will be on the screen there. So Galatians 6 verse 14 says, this is the apostle Paul writing. He says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation and as all and as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Let's pray together again. Father, we thank you so much for your word. It is alive. It is active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces our hearts. So, Father, pierce us this morning by your Spirit and let us feel your freedom. Amen. Amen. You know, it's interesting to observe um, like how communication has changed throughout, I guess, the history of life. You know, we've always had the one-on-one communication, which always seems to work best. And you've always seen people, we've always known to write letters to people. And then, you know, in the 1800s, a telegraph comes out, which was kind of like the first way to reach somebody long distance without having to write them a letter, right? You just tapping out Morse code over and over. And then, about August, uh, in August of like 1870 something, the telephone is invented, and so the first call ever recorded on the telephone was 11 miles apart, and so that has, and since then, that has done nothing but change the way communication has come. Right? So now we have our cell phones. Fast forward to the like the 60s when bag phones and car phones started coming around, and now they're, you know, now we have our smartphones and. With the invention of the smartphone comes the great thing, text message. And then email, right? And nowadays, don't call me, shoot me a text or send me an email, right? I mean, we see that the phone rings and we hit the shady button. Like, oh, they'll text me, <laughs> right? <laughs> or, or, or even in my, the company I work for, it's like you don't call anybody. You just send them an email. Uh, no one wants to talk live anymore. The problem, though, is that with text an email is the misrepresentation of emotions that can happen right how many of you all been a victim of sending a text message to someone and they completely took it the wrong way <laughs> even Jared you and I we've done that so much <laughs> to the point this way, I'm just we just got to call each other <laughs> You know, it. Uh, I'm thankful for emojis, right? <laughs> that one that does like this, he's my favorite. But <laughs> it, the reality is, is they just don't adequately express what we're feeling, what we're trying to convey. But what is like the, um, what's the one thing, whether you're sending a text message or you're sending an email, what's the one thing we all do when there's a point that we're trying to make? That dude gets all caps, doesn't it? It gets all the exclamation points. we become that overused exclamation point person. It gets bold. It gets underlined. If you're leaving a note for your spouse, maybe, like, here's your list of stuff you need to go to the grocery store. Milk is all caps, underlined, highlighted, starred, circled. Like, <laughs> don't forget that. I mean, the point is, when you're, when you're trying to communicate and you want to distinguish something from everything else that you're writing, you make it, you highlight it in some form. You make it important. You do all caps. You, you make it look different than the rest of everything you're trying to communicate, right? Paul's doing that right here, all right? I'm just going to read one line, backing up a few verses, Galatians 6, 11, Paul says, See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. All right, so let's just paint the picture. You can just kind of see what Paul's doing, right? So we're told here that all the previous part of the letter, he wasn't writing with his own hand. So you can just kind of see he's got this secretary or whoever, and they're sitting down. Got their little candlelight, and he got the little feather pen. And Paul's just, you can just see him pacing back. He's, He's just, all these things are going through about this letter, and he's just spitting it off, you know. Walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And the guy's just writing out. And then he gets to this point, And Paul's like, hey, scoot aside. I'm writing this part. And so he's dipping that in. And he says, I'm capitalizing every letter here. See what large letters I'm writing you? The reason being, out of everything I'm writing in this whole letter, this is what you've got to remember. Right? Don't forget the milk. I've got it circled at the, to when you go to the store. Is essentially what it is. Don't forget what I'm telling you right here. And that's when he says, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see... What's going on in the Galatian church is, and it's not just one church, it's like a region. Like if you look at a map, there's no city of Galatia. It's like a region. And so there's multiple churches all out in this region. He's writing this letter because what has happened is that these people had started coming in, these teachers, and they're saying, yes, yeah, yeah, we know Paul said you're saved by grace. And yes, amen, we, we echo that, but you need to be circumcised. Or they're saying... Yes, yes, Paul was right. You are saved by grace, but you got to keep the Jewish customs. Or you saved by grace, and you've got to obey, like, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. And it's really thrown a kink into everything that the Galatians are believing. They're like, whoa, wait, wait, wait a minute, what, what, what's going on here? And Paul says in chapter 1, verse 7, or, well, he's just, he, he's calling them distorting the gospel of Christ. He says, there are some that are troubling you that are wanting to distort the gospel. This is serious, serious, serious offense that's going on here. John Stott, he said, their idea of the way of salvation was that the death of Christ was insufficient and that we still have to merit the favor. And the forgiveness of God by our own good works. Paul, in verse six of chapter one, called it a different gospel, and he would even take it a step further and say that anyone who's preaching this different gospel should be accursed. And that's super strong language. If you would have been, if we could all read Greek and we were like in that culture and we read that, this is what we would have read. Anyone who's preaching to you this different gospel that I've told—that's different than what I've told you—they should be the curse of God be on them. They'd be eternally damned. They'd be given over to destruction. In other words, Paul's saying they can all go to hell because this is how serious this is. The problem is that this is not too much unlike what we hear today in what we believe today. Right? I mean, think about some of the things you and I have believed. While we may not say circumcision plus grace is salvation, we may say things like grace plus baptism equals salvation. We might say grace plus our good deeds equals salvation. Or grace plus the do's, you know, the praying, the reading, the fasting, all these spiritual disciplines. Like those are the things plus plus Jesus equals salvation. Or we might say the grace and the don'ts. You know, we heard Adam, say, you know, that little line, you don't drink, smoke, cuss, or chew. (laughs) I mean, or or, or watching rated R movies or or no gambling or, or whatever it is, right? Like, we we think that salvation is grace plus all the list of the don'ts. Or we may think grace plus doctrine. Like, you got to believe this way. And if you believe anything wrong, then no go for you, bro. Or grace and praying a sinner's prayer equals salvation. Just a sidebar, not in my notes. No sinner's prayer ever recorded in Scripture. And how many times have we led people to say, go back to that day you prayed that prayer as some form of assurance of salvation. That's taking people back to a work they performed in order to assure them of salvation. We have got to understand what Paul is talking about here we've got to understand what the gospel really is, that it is grace plus nothing. Because Tim Keller says the truths of the gospel change life from top to bottom. They transform our hearts, our thinking, and our approach to absolutely everything. So when Paul writes, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, what he is essentially saying is, Lord, forbid that I ever come close to having any kind of confidence or hope in anything other than you, Jesus. And that's what the gospel is. It's having all of our hope resting in the sole work of Jesus Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that I deliver to you the first importance, what I also receive, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Paul got it. The most important thing, the only thing he could put hope and confidence in was in the cross of Christ. He says, Romans 1, 16 and 17, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. What's he say is the power of salvation. Whose power? God's power, right? Right. Salvation is the God, the gospel is the power of God for salvation, not Paul's power, not in his hands. It's not up to him. It was up to the power of God. He echoes this again in Titus. He's writing a letter to Titus in chapter three, verse four. He says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our savior appeared, he saved us I mean, look at, look at that. The goodness and loving kindness of God. He saved us, not because of works and righteousness, according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, whom He poured out, so that being justified by His grace, we can have hope in eternal life. And Paul is just screaming loudly. Guys, it is all Jesus. It is His work in us. We're not adding anything to this. The gospel is all about what he has done in us. Paul. Clearly understood how important this was in his own life. And how he could not put any confidence in his flesh. In anything that he was doing. Philippians Chapter 3, he writes, we put no confidence in the flesh. And then I love this. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. And if any of you think you have confidence, I promise you I have more, is what he's saying. I've got way more than any of you guys, is what Paul is saying. I was circumcised on the eighth day. The people of Israel. Of the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of Hebrews. Like, I was a Jew. Is what he's saying. I mean... It's like somebody saying, I'm a man. I'm 40. (laughs) Well, y'all know that. You know that press conference. (laughs) As to the law of Pharisee, I promise you guys, none of us was like Paul here. He knew the law. The first five books could quote it word for word. Reality is, bet the only thing we can quote is John 3.16. And this guy's quoting book after book after book after book. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. And while we might think this is crazy, but at that time he was a Jew and the, they thought the church was the enemy. And so he was trying to reclaim the glory of God there. And as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul understood Look, guys, if we're going to put confidence in the flesh, if anyone's going to be able to do it, it's going to be me, and I don't put any confidence in this flesh. He would write in other areas, he was the chief among sinners. As I said earlier, believing these truths of the gospel are life-changing from top to bottom. In one area... But one particular area that Paul highlights that I want to hit on is verse 16. And as for all those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. How many of you guys are like me and you've doubted oftentimes so much? whether or not you're generally a Christian or not. Like you may get caught up in some sin, and you're thinking like, how in the world can I be a Christian and do this? Or maybe you're thinking, how in the world can I love Jesus and be doing these things or thinking these things or saying this, these things? Am I even really a Christian? Do I even really love Jesus? I mean, am I the only one that's wrestled with this before? Younger and earlier in my Christian life, I would (laughs) doubt these things and find myself saying these things and then I would recite this prayer over and over like it was some magical formula and really mean it this time. You know what I mean? And the reality is that the reason I find myself wrestling with this doubt and wondering whether or not I was a Christian because although I would not have admitted it, I was believing that my works were adding to my salvation, right? So I would have clearly said, if someone would have said, Luke, how is one saved? Oh, yes, by grace are you saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I would have shouted that from the rooftop. But in my heart, there's that wrestling going on that I'm doubting after every work I fail at. And then I'm wondering, oh, my goodness, am I really a Christian? Because what I really, in my heart, what I believe was, yes, grace, but now I have to perform this way. And that's going to equal my salvation. And I would submit to you guys that if any of you have ever wrestled with those same doubts, even though you may not admit it, that's what's going on in your heart. I really believe that because it it goes on in my heart. When I wrestle with those things, it's because I'm basing my salvation on my performance, what I'm doing or what I'm not doing, what I'm believing, what I'm not believing. Rather than boasting, having my complete confidence in the cross of Christ, I say yes to grace and yes to my works. And I need to hear a freeing reality this morning that it is Jesus and that's it. So guess what? Now, when those doubts come, and I, and, and how can I be a Christian and sit here and do this? Yes. How can I? And I can't. But Jesus has, and He can, and He's done it for me. And I don't have to worry about it. Right? This <laughs> is freeing to me. <laughs> I don't have to worry if I'm caught in sin, whether or not Jesus loves me and whether or not His grace is sufficient for me. It is. It's so good. It's so freeing. I need this right now. There's a a beautiful, beautiful song written by Shane Bernard called Embracing Accusation. It's so good. Because it says when the devil comes and he's accusing us. And when we're believing these doubts. He's right. He's absolutely right. Because Jesus saves Now let's bring the plane in for landing. Everybody likes a guy that don't preach a lot because he goes short. <laughs> um, I just want to caution us all real quickly that we don't hear a license to sin. <laughs> grace prevails, so I don't have to worry. I mean, yeah, you don't have to worry. Yes, grace does prevail. But this is not a license to sin, right? Paul says in Romans 6 13, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? And here's that exclamation. You can just see it loudly by no means. He writes to Titus For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in the present age. Waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. And to purify himself a people for his own possession. Who are zealous for good works. So that's what grace does. Grace doesn't give you the opportunity to earn favor of God. You have the favor of God because of Jesus. Now we get to enjoy the favor of God because of Jesus. And we enjoy that by experiencing him, by being obedient to him, not running from him and being disobedient to him. So when Jesus gives us his word and he tells us things like giving financially, abstaining from sex outside of marriage, from uh, loving our enemies to doing good to others, to being kind to one another, to, to, to all the rules that he gives us, it's not so that we can add those on to his grace in order to equal salvation. It's because now we get to enjoy him and his salvation that's already done for us. It's not unlike what you do with your children, folks. Like, I love to hear my kids running around the yard or running up and down the house playing. Hannah, she sits here and does cartwheels over and over and over and I love to watch it. She gets outside and she'll do it all across the yard. And you see Andrew playing with trucks in the dirt and Lydia's got her doll and she's running around and Eva's just... Just going crazy. It's, uh, it's so fun. She's getting in all the drawers in the kitchen. <laughs> it is so... My, Donna, you can echo our heart's delight in the listening to them laugh and play. But guess what? They can't play in the street. Not because I don't love them and I've got some boundaries that I think that, that I want to be hard on them. But because I want them to continue to playing and flipping in the yard tomorrow and the next day <laughs> my kids they can't hang over the stairs cuz they're going to fall off and die i don't want them to do that <laughs> i want them to continue running up and down the stairs and playing in their in their rooms and and for me and donna to enjoy that and to listen to them that's exactly what god's rules and his that that he has laid out for us it's not to hinder us it's not to put a constraint on us it's to Give us the freedom to enjoy Him more and more and more and over and over and over and over. And He taking enjoyment in us over and over and over and over just like Don and I enjoying our kids. So this freedom, guys, that you and I can experience to not have to perform for God, for Him to completely enjoy us, for for us to say yes to grace commit, to admit our need, to admit our need for him when we're right in the middle of sin. It's all because of what Jesus has done for us. His work on the cross has accomplished everything for us. We don't need to add to it and we certainly can't take it away. I love what you've heard us say it. I think we first heard it from Keller who says, the gospel says that you were more loved than you could ever dream. You can't possibly earn him to cause him to love you more by doing good deeds, and you possibly can't cause him to love you less by sinning. His love is infinite for you right now, and his grace is poured out on us, and it's shown through Jesus. So, as the band comes, we're going to move to a time of communion. I'm going to invite you guys to stand, and we're going to celebrate this freedom we have to not perform. A freedom that we have to rest in the grace of Jesus and enjoy his freedom that he gives us.